Hello, and welcome back to the Builders Podcast. I'm Grace Ann. And I'm Liam. And we're the co-founders of Storybook Marketing. And however you've come to be listening to us today, the theme of this podcast is around building, particularly within marketing. Each episode, we talk with marketers who are walking the walk when it comes to building amazing marketing programs. And today's episode is a lofty one. Today's topic is around category design. Okay. Okay. So I feel like this might need a little bit of unpacking because we're very used to hearing about category creation. So what exactly is the difference here? It's a great question, honestly. And it's an important distinction. There's definitely an obsession with this idea of creating a category. But the truth is that creating categories is incredibly challenging and a very long-term strategy. When in reality, even the most novel solutions get categorized by the market. Everyone is part of a category. Now, you may not agree with the categorization you've been put in, but that's where category design comes in. It's about how you educate the market and how you define the category around you. I love that way of describing it. And it's such a good point because whether you like it or not, the market is going to compare you to other ways of solving the problem that you do. Even if you think your way is revolutionary and drastically different, you'll always find yourself being placed alongside others. So it only makes sense that you use that to your advantage. And so I guess that, as logical as that is, it brings up an important question. Why is, why is it such a challenging the, idea? The main reason, I think, is because founders and employees are often too close to the product, that it creates a bias about themselves that the outside world doesn't typically share. You spend so much time in the trenches of the details of what you do as a company that it's easy for the ways you're different to be much more magnified to you than they are to the rest of the market. So when you get compared to something that doesn't feel like a fair comparison, you want to push back and tell the world that you're different, that you're unique. And honestly, now as a co-founder of an agency, I get it. I understand what drives that. Because on one hand, you have to define what makes you unique and different and better to justify your reason for existing in relation to your competitors. But on the other hand, the market's very likely going to look at you and put you in a familiar category box, whether you like it or not. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And here's where it goes wrong in marketing. That desire to be seen as unique that can lead you to resist the language that the market uses to describe you. I mean, how many times have we seen it where a leadership team coined a whole new term that they felt better represented them and then avoided using any of the language that the market actually used? And all they found was that the result was that they just lost out on a whole bunch of traffic from people who were looking for those terms. Yep. So removing that bias and sometimes even ego is critical in getting your marketing right, which brings us right back to this idea of category design. If you've been put in a box, now it's up to you to educate the market on what that box should look like and how you shape the world around you instead of trying to leave it and create another world entirely. Uh -huh. Okay. So the concept makes sense. Bosh, what does that look like in practice? Well, 
good news is we have a guest today who isn't just passionate about category design, but has very successfully done it at a brand we all know well. Today's guest is the CMO, Chief Market Officer, not marketing, of Sixth Sense, a leading AI-powered account-based marketing platform. She's been instrumental in leading the marketing efforts and category design for Sixth Sense that has brought it to be the leader it is today. I'm very excited to introduce today's guest, Latney Knapp. Latney, thank you so much for joining. It is a pleasure to talk to you. How are you doing today? I'm awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited yes. to talk about our long and winding road here at Six Sense. <laughs> <laughs> and so are we. And that is that is exactly where we want to jump in. So the background on the conversation really is focusing on where Six Sense began. It's very easy to look at Six Sense right now and see a category leader, one of the more prominent brands in the B2B SaaS world. But there's been a long journey to get there, not just from the brand, but from the category. So we want to go back in time a little bit. And when you arrived at Sixth Sense and when you were taking over marketing, where, how did you recognize where Sixth Sense was within the category at that time? Well, it was pretty easy to recognize because we were like last in the Forster wave. <laughs> it didn't take a genius. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we had been that's not totally true, right? We, we had been um, leaders upon leaders in the predictive wave. Mm -hmm. uh, and that category evolved to like, I want to say it was called like B2B insights or something like that. And we were, you know, leaders upon leaders, you know, top of the quadrant or whatever in, in that as well. Um, but we, we knew that the predictive category would not stand on its own. It was more of a feature and um, wanted to be a leader in the ABM category. And that's really where my kind of journey began. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's kind of was the, was the, the start of my journey with Sixth Sense was, all right, how, how are we going to be leaders in, in the ABM category. And, you know, um, it, it's not just about the dots on the wave, right? It, that is a good, that is one indicator um, of, of how you're doing from a category perspective. Um, it, it's a lot of things, but that, but I, I like to joke about that because um, it was, it was kind of a tough situation to walk into. <laughs> yeah. So, Go ahead. Yeah. So knowing that, I guess you looked around, you knew ABM was where you wanted to go. You knew your position where you were. Where did you start? Well, you know, I think that you always have to start with the founding of the company. And not, not I shouldn't say always, but, but typically there was a founder or a group of founders that had a big idea. And that story, that kernel, that big idea is, I think, the red thread that you want to mm -hmm. be able to weave through, you know, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we had a rich founding story. You know, we, we had a, a number of just really passionate founders um, and Sixth Sense was started to answer this 
kind of huge question, which was, if we just knew when people were ready to buy, B2B sales and marketing would be so much easier. And that's a pretty cool question to answer. You know, forget about waves and categories. Like, that's a pretty awesome and profound question to be able to answer and has amazing implications for the priorities that sales and marketing teams care about, creating pipeline, optimizing conversions, minimizing waste. So whenever we get, because you can get yourself really wrapped around the axle around this person's doing that or this analyst is talking about that, I always try to really go back to the roots of um, of that huge question. And in answering that question, we had to develop a lot of IP that continues to be incredibly differentiated. And mm -hmm. so I think that's also really important. Um, there is only so much I can go out and shout louder than the next guy or gal. You really have to sit on some sort of product differentiation. Um, Otherwise, that's all it is, is me shouting that, you know, my customer success is better than your customer success. Well, how do we know that, right? These people mm -hmm. like them, they like you. What what really is that, that differentiation? So I think being crystal clear on on that and 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 six cents was when I started, right? I, I mean, I talked about it in the interview process. So I had a lot of great building blocks um, around that rich, big question, cool question to, that we were answering and successfully answering that solved real executive priorities um, and had some true IP differentiation. And so mm -hmm. I think that those ingredients are really needed um, and you don't have to have them from the beginning, right? You can, if you are listening to this thinking, I don't know if we have that, there's, then that's your opportunity. Um, but I think you have to have those three things to rally your team and then to rally your customers and then to rally the, the market around to start. That's fascinating. And I think it's so inspiring to see that kind of clarity around that core central message or that question, as you said, it, that you were answering and that really being your North Star um, to drive towards. I And, you know, for those who might be listening, as, as you pointed out and thinking like, I, I don't have these kinds of building blocks, like where do I even start? What were maybe some of the other sources that you drew inspiration from? in thinking about how to take these building blocks and start putting them together? So we, so one of the first things that we did, um, I was fortunate in that I, I, when I started at Sixth Sense, it was just me and one other marketer, which was very hard, but I had the opportunity to build a team. And, um, you know, I have people that I like working with <laughs> and that I think we make a good band. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't, it's like Fleetwood Mac. We don't always get along. We've been married. We've been <laughs> but you know, yeah, it was a great album. Yeah. <laughs> it was a great analogy. And, yeah. uh, and so 
you know, I, I brought a couple of my bandmates over and, and we have a workshop that we, we had run a bunch of times at Aperio. Um, cause we evolved that story in a big way there mm-hmm. as well. Um, and so we had a little bit of a, of a play that we ran and it's around, okay, what are our brand attributes? Um, you know, deciding on those. It's it's a lot of like the Andy Raskin, what's the big shift? Mm-hmm. Um, there's really five elements that we workshop through, like what's the big shift? Who's our enemy? What does the promised land look like? If you're going to get to the promised land, what are the critical capabilities? And those critical capabilities happen to be the differentiators that only you can provide. And then how do we, you know, what, what, what's the like unequivocal proof that we can provide? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I use that format all the time, Um, you know, even for a product launch um, or, you know, in, in a mini way, but I think just like narrow, narrow, like nailing that is really important and it'll change over time. Mm -hmm. Um, But kind of getting everyone on board with, with that overall company narrative was important. Um, And then again, the critical capabilities, like, because you can go into, um, everyone thinks that what they do is differentiated and then it's like, but how do we really prove that? How do we really prove that? How do we really prove Mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. And I think that like, sometimes people are like, oh, we have six differentiators. Well, no, we actually have one or you actually have one or two and it's, it's better to have one or two really good ones than six me, you know? So, um, and they could change, right, as your competitive market changes. Mm-hmm. So there are some differentiators that you might have and then they morph and change. But I think that's really important to stay on top of um, from a competitive intelligence perspective is just the strength of those those differs mm-hmm. and always be going back to those because – your promised land and your critical capabilities have to tie back to the differs. Mm-hmm. I'd love to ask about the differentiation part because this is, I think, one of the struggles that that we often see where if you're evangelizing something new and you're trying to bring people onto a journey of something they haven't ever used before, what's the balance of evangelizing the category versus differentiating yourself from others within it? Like, How do you figure out what that mix looks like? So I'm kind of in the April Dunfield category, uh, like camp, which is, I don't know if I want to go and create a category. It sounds really hard and expensive. Like I would rather take something that people already know they need to buy or are thinking about buying and put my own spin and evolve it. Mm. Um, I, I, you know, it, I, so when, when people tell me they're creating a category, I always am like, hmm. Tell me more about that (laughs) and tell me about this ideal customer profile and, you know, tell me about how the size of that problem and tell me about the competitive. If if people tell me they have no competitors, I'm like, you don't have a market. So like there's just, there's no escaping product market fit. Mm -hmm. And so the number one job I think for CMOs is to be like completely paranoid about product market fit 
and really making sure that, you know, any insight, like you're the voice of the market, making sure that um, you maintain it and you can lose it in the blink of an eye. Mm. Um, So just because you have it right now doesn't mean you'll have it in a month. Um, So I think that is a big, you know, again, back to the ingredients, founder story, differentiation, a big problem with with a market, you know, um, and and there wasn't a market for predictive analytics that was growing, right? And so we had to find another market where we could take our our roots and our differentiation um, and thrive. And that's why you know we we knew we wanted to be in in ABM. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So I think I think just understand it, it's a lot easier to a it's easier to compete than to create, mm-hmm. and competing might not be feature to feature. It could be we solve the problem in a different way, mm-hmm. but it's much easier to compete than to create. So I, I think that's just something to keep in mind if you're out there, you know, looking at your budget and how far it'll actually go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such an interesting point because I think it's all too easy for teams to get sucked down that path of sort of feature well, competing. sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. I create categories. Yeah. Um, you know? And, you know if, I think if we all had a dollar for every time we've heard a, a brand say they have no competitors and they're creating a brand new category and this is something that doesn't exist yet and – yeah, that that sounds wonderful, but it's really hard and really expensive to create a category and a market for something that no one's really ever bought before. And and to you know, similar to the point you made, you know, you have to ask yourself that is there really a market for this? Yeah, and I think again, I I, I think category design is hugely important. Mm-hmm. And and so taking a step back, like I don't want to take the wind out of people's sails. So if, right, but okay, so there is no category and no competition, but what are people, what is, what is your Mary or your, you know, main persona? What are they spending money on Mm -hmm. and why? Mm -hmm. Because you need to be something that they think they need to spend money on or an alternative, again, it's easier to compete or an alternative to something they're spending money on right now. So that's another way to think about it, you know? In case you were mentioning the promised land, how aspirational do you get with that? Like how big and long-term do you think, like how do you make sure there's near-term realism versus like you just go like, we're going to like, you know, be in every country and we're going to like have all of these, like a thousand customers. Like where's the, how do you contain a promised land? So we use a process that um, I and I think a lot of people have hijacked from Salesforce, which is V2 Mom. And um, again, like I have all these little workshops in my arsenal, I guess. Um, but at, we used V2 Mom at, at Aperio and I had a workshop that I took everyone through there and I had been through a bunch of times. And so when I got to Sixth Sense, you know, I'm like, we don't need to pay someone to come in and help us with our strategy. Like we can just you know, I'll get get together and, and do it. Um, and so 
Um, we started that four years ago, that V2 mom process. And what it makes you do is everything on the V2 mom is time bound. So your vision is actually only a year. And it gets people super confused because they're like, but our corporate mission and vision are forever and la, 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 la. And I'm like, so I almost wish it wasn't called vision, but whatever. But the, the point is, it's like, what what does the end of this year look like or two years look like? It's very time bound. It's not forever, which actually I think is helpful to people. Like thinking you have to like write something as a Rosetta Stone is super stressful, but just being like, look, what's the headline of the press release that the momentum release we're going to put out in a year? Yeah. Um, and so it's sort of a forcing function to think about that. Now, I think that it depends on your market. Like for us, a year is like seven years. Um, you know, as we mature and as our category matures, you know, it, it might be two years that we start to look at in terms of a horizon. Um, but, you know, we've, we revisit it every six months and it's like, it's, but it's very time bound, right? So this is what, this is our stated thing we want to accomplish. This is what the promised land is going to feel like in a year. Mm-hmm. And it's internal, but your internal strategy should be something that if someone were to see external, they would be excited about. Like, yeah, I'm so excited that they're doing that. That's kick ass. You know what I mean? So we try to make it like we always have a theme. So like this year, our theme is the amazing race. It's all about grabbing market share, working together cross-functionally, right? Pairing up. You know, we know there's going to be roadblocks. We know that there's, you know, starting line tasks that we have to do before we can even start the race. Um, We know there's areas where we're ahead. So there's fast forwards, right? So the whole theme was all about, you know, our amazing race this year and and what we need to accomplish. Um, And so it just gets everyone really fired up. And I share that with analysts. I share it with our, you know, partners and insiders because I want them to be excited about where we're going. Um, But I think it's key that you're able to, like, you want to show and be a company that delivers and a person that delivers, honestly. You know, all you have is your reputation long term. Mm -hmm. So that's why making it time bound, I think. And because then you can go back and tell your employees, look at this is what we really did it. Or tell analysts or tell key customers in your cab. We said we were going to deliver this. We did. We said we're going to deliver that. We did. You know, just being innovative and aspirational and talking a big game, that that gets really old, mm-hmm. you know, and people are really skeptical. So, you know, I always try to back up our vision with, and oh, by the way, remember when we told you we did this? We did it. Remember when we told you we did this? We did that too. Remember when we announced this three years ago at our customer conference and it's been live for two? So when we're announcing all this crazy cool stuff, don't tune it out. Mm-hmm. It, it, we're going to make it a, a reality, you know? So, you know, and that takes years to build up. It's been almost five years. Um, yeah. 
at, at six cents. But I think if if you're just starting out or even just start now, but make sure that you can show a track record of delivering on your promises. Yeah. I think that's really powerful. And I loved what you said about how, you know, aspirationally speaking can only get you so far that, you know, teams need to really be prepared to deliver um, on these things. And, you know, I guess with that in mind, uh, as you're going through this process, as you've been on this journey for companies who are at the very beginning of it and starting to think about going on this journey, what, I guess, sort of advice or guidance would you give them about at least from your experiences, what the most challenging part of it may be? So I think it can be very challenging when you don't understand your ideal customer profile. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're trying to get started, so you want to take any deal or any, you know, any sign of life that you can. Yep. Yep. which makes sense. But mm. I think the faster you really understand, and, and you don't want to turn revenue away, but at the same time, that can send you down a completely different path. So those are the tough decisions I think you have to really be willing to make. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great point. And I, I, I've certainly, you know, seen this many times, and I know, Liam, you have as well, just where you're really early stages and there is that temptation or sort of eagerness to not want to turn away the revenue and see potential customers in this category or this category or this industry. And it can be really easy to be pulled down that path. And, you know, particularly if a huge piece of this process comes from that clarity of product market fit and who your ICP is, like it's so important to get that right. That's right. That's right. And it's not just like a – it's a numbers thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, y- you should be able to tie out the number of accounts in your ICP vis-a-vis your revenue goals, vis-a-vis how many you realistically think you can get, right? So so there's the right sizing of your ICP too. Yeah. Um, and as you grow and want to grow – you're going to have to think about, okay, this is the next slice of ICP. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think having the whole company on board with that is important because otherwise you end up with, you know, mouths to feed, honestly, AEs, mouths to feed that you're like, when did we hire? I I don't plan on having a pharmaceutical marketing track or whatever. Like, like, when mm-hmm. when did we decide we were going to do SMB? Like, I don't have any yeah. work set up for them. Or, oh, my God, we're going over over 10,000 accounts for size. Like, that's a new motion. Like, ah, you know, so, mm-hmm. so you just want time and you want to be thoughtful about and aligned so that um, everyone knows the mouse that they have to feed and are responsible yeah. for. How do you prevent a lot of that shiny object stuff like oh there's a giant pharmaceutical company has interested in us wow this could completely change one of these customers could be 25 percent of our revenue imagine if we had three like how do you bring people back to center when things like that happen so i think we're really fortunate in that we're all in on using our own product honestly um because the thing with inbound is 
you want, you know, you, you use these broad search terms, which could attract a shark, a salmon, a minnow, a tire, (laughs) (laughs) a water bottle, some trash, (laughs) you know what I mean? But like, you're all about like optimizing for these terms and then getting them to your website and then, okay, that's what we're going to do. So, but what the sixth sense approach is, is it's like, okay, let's go through, all right, your TAM is this, but you're rinky dink small. There's no way you can address that whole TAM. So, okay, let's start to filter, filter, filter. Okay. Here's a good ideal customer profile. These are the accounts that are actually in market. Rather than wait and hope that maybe they make it to your website, let's go after them. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot more of a proactive, but it's not call everybody and their mother. It's very like specific. And so that I think has been really helpful for us. And that's what we talk about. And that's what I wrote about in my book is like, you know, and, and I'm, I don't know, I, I have a saying like the best offense is, a, the best defense is an offense. <laughs> I am not a defensive player. Like, let's go after. And, and because you get the signal that there's in market there, you're not just running against a brick wall, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's been, that's been our guiding light and has helped us be very efficient and really stick to that. Um, ICP mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one of the things we do is like, if if you are a tire or a bike or a, you're not a fish, then analogy. <laughs> we have another process. Like we have, we have a very low touch support process because I don't want my AEs honestly spending any time. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah. And that's okay. You yeah. know, yeah, I think the the idea of focus is sometimes underrated, and I understand why. Like when when expectations are high, sometimes bandwidth and budgets are limited. You know, there's sometimes a feeling of just wanting to make sure nothing's going to waste. You're throwing everything but the kitchen sink at everything you can, and as you've just laid out, the you know this idea of being proactive versus reactive, but it comes back to having focus and and clarity in what it is you are doing, what the goals are, who it is you want to be going after. Yeah. And it was really interesting. We had, um, this year was a real test for, I think, a lot of us. Um, And so, you know, Q3, Q2 and Q3 with the economic climate, Mm -hmm. we we started to feel some of that. And, the immediate instinct was, oh my gosh, we need to do more. Let's, you know, more this, more that, more initiatives, more, more campaigns, more sales enablement, more, 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 more. And it got worse. And finally we like took a breath and we're like, first of all, our team is like freaking fried. Mm -hmm. We're fried. Like, let's just take a breath and really look at what's going on. And what was really interesting is um, under that more, more, more 
scenario, we created more pipeline than we ever had in the history of Sixth Sense. Mm. Best pipeline months. But pipeline does not get you a Starbucks coffee. Mm. So really, I mean, it's a good leading indicator, but um, and what we found is it was too much. Mm-hmm. You know, because what happens is when your win rates start to creep down, you need more pipeline. And and we had gotten ourselves into a cycle of more mm. instead of a cycle of winning and focus. Oh, that's interesting. I love that. Yeah. So we took a pause and we said, you know what? We're going to break the cycle. And it, it could be a little painful, but um, – we're breaking the cycle and we're going to assume better win rates, mm-hmm. which means we have to create less pipeline. But we're going to back that assumption up with resources around winning mm-hmm. and win rates. So, you know, we updated our six cents model to be pointed at a later stage. So we have less coming in at the top of the funnel. We um, we analyzed our – every quarter I look at the deals that we've won to see what, what was the – what did it take to win a deal? And we found it was a lot harder to win a deal. A lot more interactions each stage, about 30% more activities per stage, and double the amount of engaged contacts to win a deal. So, you know, we reallocated resources to that. Um, we added BDR multi-threading. So they already have to, multi, you know, that's part of our SLA is they multi-thread to three, but we added a flag where AEs can have them get involved in op and do mm-hmm. more. We took our ABX resources and took 40% of those and said, don't focus on pipeline, focus on velocity and win rates and in ops. Um, we implemented opportunity grading. So after the first call, you know, based on what we learned, we assign a grade. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know how hard to follow up, you know, if it's a C or D grade. Let's make sure that if we have precious resources to go and follow up and it's going to take us a lot more to win a deal, let's focus on the A's and B's. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I'm lucky in that I have a partner in sales that we could come to that conclusion together and take that risk together. Um, I'm also fortunate it paid off, I suppose, because uh, then we had our best quarter ever in Q4. Wow. So, um, but it, it's just interesting. Like, like you got to check. I, I think a lot of us have been become successful by outworking everyone else, myself included. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying we're not working our asses off. We are. But broad, like doing a little of a lot is not effective. <laughs> Mm -hmm. gotta channel all that energy yeah into replicating winning patterns and 
you know, with that in mind for folks that are just in the early stages of this journey and, and just starting out. Harder, you don't have as many patterns, right? Like I right. can analyze one deals because there's enough to analyze, you know? And, you know, I guess that being said, you know, putting yourself in that position of when you were first starting out, what were sort of the leading indicators or things that you watched or looked for to be able to say, okay, this is working. We're doing this right. You know, when you have customers that are just really bought in to what you're doing. Um, so we did our first customer conference and they were like, "What? we don't have enough customers. It's not going to be very big. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't care. Small is actually cooler. We can make it way cooler. Once conferences get bigger, yeah. cool. you know, um, and so it was 40 people, but it was awesome. And we made it, we like, went with that, right? We made it super intimate. We made it, you know, feel like, like this is the core group, right? Like we are all part of this movement. Mm -hmm. That core group of people that were there, um, I mean, they're what have made us successful. So, you know, I also think that like executives and founders have to go and do deals to start. You know, I think mm -hmm. a lot of think, oh, I'm just, I'm in charge of this, or I just build the product. If you're an executive, you should be personally doing deals. Yeah. And, open, you know, opening doors, working deals involved. Um, otherwise, you're never, because you're, every single person is an evangelist that is at that company. Yeah. It's not a sales team. You are, if you're an executive at, at a startup, you are the sales team. When you, That's true. When you look back five years ago and you look at sort of like where Six Sense is now, the messaging, the evangelism that's happening, like those core people, how different does it look now to what it started as? Um, you know, the more it changes, the more it stays the same, I suppose. Like, like I don't know, very different, but also a lot of the things are the same. Um mm -hmm. You know, and that's why those ingredients, I think, are really important. You know, back to the first question. Um, and I think that's the challenge is that as you become multi-product, multi-geo, multi-vertical, how do you not get watered down in that core um, belief or, or message. So, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be certifying everybody on, you know, the beginning story again, cause you grow too and, and people forget. And so I think there's just a constant and, and I think sometimes what happens and we're guilty of this at six senses, like we get bored of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, we've been using that slide for like six months. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need a new slide. We don't like those graphics anymore. They're cool. Like, <laughs> um, but it takes a really long time to imprint, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's this like, there's on the one hand, you want to be a vibrant brand and company and not look like you're standing still. But at the same time, you need to be recognizable by that repetition. So that's just like the hard balance, you know? Yeah. To, to strike. Um, you know, we, 
because I was looking at the questions, I'm like, how do we keep it on the rails? And we barely do. But I think that the way that we do is we have our lightning strikes. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's a forcing function for us to evolve. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because it's the entire marketing team plus typically like almost all the company around these focused strikes. And, you know, they're time bound. Like, again, it the la- our reveal launch is March 14th. So the website has got to be ready to cut over. The, the you know, the, the cadences need to be built with snippets. The, you know, all these. Yes, it is a 45-minute launch event. Mm-hmm. And it should be really cool. And we're working on making it really cool. But the behind everything that we're has to happen, in my opinion, for it to be official is colossal. It's huge. You know, all the material sales materials need to be built, all this, that, the other. And I think that helps us not have this bleed of, well, we're updating this or updating. It's like, nope, this date, everything gets done, mm-hmm. Boom. Mm-hmm. you know, and then our next one will be Forrester Summit. And so we'll have some theme around that that will evolve. It, it'll still stay that core promise and position, but it'll evolve and feel cool and feel new. You know, people need to want to come back for what's new and what's different. Um, and then we'll have Breakthrough, which is our customer conference, which is when we release our biggest and most exciting new products and things like that. So I think having a beat and a pace to the year um, a, make sure you accomplish a lot. And again, things you don't have a lot of half done stuff. Um, but B, it, it keeps you exciting to the market. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this has been an extremely insightful conversation. Um, I have learned so much just from the nuggets that you've shared here. One, just final question here to wrap things up. Um, you know, seeing where you and Sixth Sense are right now um, and thinking back to where you began four or five years ago, if you could go back and give your former self one piece of advice, knowing what you know now, what would it be? It's kind of not my style. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I don't, I can't live with a lot of regrets. We got to keep moving. Yeah. You know, I mean, you got to learn. I've learned a ton. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. And I've made mistakes and you learn from your mistakes, but mm-hmm. regrets, I, I don't have time for that. Um, That's the quote right there. <laughs> but I, I'm excited to keep learning. Mm. Right. I'm excited to make some hopefully little mistakes and learn from those. Yeah. You know, I try to really, really stay connected to other CMOs that I admire and um, get a lot of input um, to stay a couple clicks ahead, if that makes sense. Um, and our CEO has a thing that we operate paranoid. So um, 
I do a lot of benchmarking too of us versus not just our own category, but tangential categories and, you know, just are we on top of what we need to be on top of? Um, so, you know, I don't know. I don't know. That's kind of, and I don't think I would go back either. I mean, it's kind of like saying, would you go back to high school? Oh my God. No, never. No. <laughs> no. And who wants to be the person who peaked in high school? <laughs> yeah. no. You know, my high schoolers at all the time. I'm like, you don't want high school to be your glory days. Let me tell you. <laughs> It's, same with college, it. same with middle school, yeah. you know? I mean, it was yeah. good at that time. I learned a lot. It was kind of awkward. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. I hope that the peak is still in the future. I think yeah. that's a wonderful way of looking at it. And I think that is a wonderful place to leave it as well. This has been a fantastic conversation. We learned a ton. This is a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs>